Hello and welcome to another episode of the RSL Random Fan Podcast. I'm your host, a host, Brent Goble, joined by Brennan, Tyler Thomas, and Brennan. I, I guess we're on, the, on the screen. Yeah, the they'll, they'll I'm, pointing at you. I'm pointing at you, and you're supposed to know where I am pointing. So we've got Tyler Thomas <laughs> and Brennan Goble joining us, and we uh, have a special guest today. Uh, David James, DJ. Welcome, DJ. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. We're we're excited to have you on here. Um, anything we can do to boost our ratings and get people out there listening to us, we figure you are the golden calf that's going to take us to unforeseen heights. Correct? Okay, we'll go with that. Sure. <laughs> no, pressure. That no pressure, though. <laughs> Let's make that the plan. Yeah. So, David, <laughs> we, we do like to ask people, are you a soccer fan and, and how did you get into soccer if you are, or maybe you're not? So, so I would consider, I would absolutely consider myself a soccer fan. It started, um, you know, I'm my father's kid. My dad was a big sports fan. His dad was a big sports fan. And my dad was of the opinion that there was, there really were no bad sports. He would watch everything. He was more into some sports than others. And when the, um, I mean, if you're old enough to remember the show Wide World of Sports, you never knew what they were going to put on, right? I mean, you could have an all-e fight, and you could have people barrel jumping, and you could have 15 laps from a NASCAR race, and you could have, you know, 20 minutes from a soccer. I mean, you didn't know what was going to come on. And that show was must-see TV in our house. It was on every weekend. And, um, and so when the uh, NASL started, San Diego had a team. And uh, ABC had a contract and televised the games. And uh, my dad was a classic uh, do-it-yourself guy. There was always a project around the house on the weekend. A lot of them were out in the yard. And uh, we lived on the edge of San Diego where it's starting to go rural. The people who lived in the suburbs thought we lived in the country because we didn't have sidewalks. And the people who actually like had five acres are like, you're in the city. You got like a half an acre. What is that? You know. <laughs> so, so there were a lot of projects out in the yard. And dad had an old TV that would always be out in the yard on whatever the game was. It didn't, whatever the game was. And so when the NASL was on, then, yeah, we watched the Cosmos. We watched Pele. We watched the Tampa Bay Rowdies. We watched, you know, whoever. San Diego was never a big enough deal. They were never, they weren't going to be on the game of the week. And so the NASL went away. And um, my, I played basketball in high school, uh, mostly because my dad was good friends with a high school basketball, he was a high school teacher and he's good friends with a high school basketball coach at his school. And so as a little kid, I was in this Saturday morning program and I got just a little bit of skill and it was just enough for me to help and understand the game and the fundamentals. And it was enough for help me make the team. And in California, soccer is a winter sport in the high school. Here it's it's um, fall for the girls and spring for the boys. Um, so I didn't I didn't play it, but all my friends and were in the in my classes were on the team. And our team was really good, but I couldn't go because the games were on Tuesday and Friday, just like our games. So really what got me hooked in it for good, I'm an example of the 94 World Cup because soccer just wasn't on. I would watch the, um, I don't know if you guys remember this, um, PBS used to have soccer made in England and soccer made in Germany. And you'd get a game that was a week or two old and they'd edit it down and put it in one hour. And in San Diego, it ran at five and six o'clock when there was, in that era, I'm old enough, there was no other sports on. So in our house where sports was always on, that's what was on. So what really got me, and um, at this point I would have said I was not a soccer fan, although I you know, watched it and all that, it was the 94 World Cup. 
if you build it, they will come. If we bring soccer to the U.S. and if people can see it, they will get hooked. That was the whole theory. That was the whole pitch. And it came to town, and the U.S. opened, and they played Switzerland in the Pontiac Silverdome. Played a 1-1 draw, and I had to work. I can't remember what I was doing, but I didn't get to watch the game. And I was off the day they played their uh, next game. They played Columbia in the Rose Bowl, which was famous for the own goal. And the U.S. wins 2-1 and gets three of the four points that puts them through into the round of 16, which was a huge accomplishment because they were going to be the first host to bomb out. And everybody's sure they're going to be embarrassed like they were in Italy in, in 1990. And so at that point, like, I'm hooked. I mean, it's two hours, it's drama, it's the Rose Bowl. I grew up in Southern California. I mean, it just, it had everything. It was great. And, um, and so I was hooked. And at that point, MLS still hadn't started. There still wasn't much soccer on TV. It was, it was hard to follow and be a fan. And, um, but what it got me hooked was U.S. qualifying for the 98 Cup. And I started watching. I was at my in-laws, my, my father-in-law. He, he was, he's Naval Academy, his brother's Naval Academy, his dad's Naval Academy. I mean, America, apple pie, the flag, right? And so we're visiting their house, and he's, he's off somewhere. I don't know what's going on. He's a huge sports fan. He's off somewhere. He's not there. And so I'm watching the U.S. play at Costa Rica. And they're, you know, throwing toilet paper and there's barbed wire around. I mean, it's just got everything you'd expect out of right. And it's super intense. It's really, you know, and he comes in in the middle and he's like, what are you watching? What's going on? And I tell him, and like, you just got to wave the flag a little bit. You know? <laughs> he's sitting down and I got to explain it to him and all that. So uh, I, I pulled a few other people in along the way. Um, yeah. So anyway, that's how I got hooked. The World Cup did it. And at first, I didn't really get into MLS. I tried to watch it when it started. But, of course, there are no rivalries. It's brand new. I don't know the players. I really – I watched some of it, but I couldn't get into it. Maybe I'd watch a playoff or an MLS Cup final here. Um and I was still following the U.S. national team and the international stuff. And then when RSL came, I mean, I remember going up there to Rice-Eccles Stadium. And it was uh, the first year. And it had to be just a few games into the season. And the Jazz were rebuilding at that point. And our talking sports on Saturday nights had been uh, – had been just jazz driven with all these playoff runs, you know, sometimes it went into June. Right. And now all of a sudden we're sitting here, we're sitting here in March. Like, yeah, I mean, the season's not over, but it's over. They're not good. Um, and so I went up there and we did like three minutes of highlights and some of Ellinger's post game. And then I got a, I got a player, Trey Fitzgerald, got a player to come over and we got huge ratings. So we did it again and we got huge ratings and I'm like, holy cow, there is an audience for this. This is going to be a thing. But I think the thing with sports is like politics. And there's a few examples and soccer probably has more than most. But man, all sports is local. You know, you need to have that sense of community. The team needs to be in your backyard. And even if you follow a big European club, you know, the odds are that you found a group of people, you know, the, the soccer bars that open in the morning to go watch them. You got to have that, you know, that sense of community in the group. I, I find it really hard to just do anything, you know, by myself and, and get sucked into it. And then you have kids and you like what they like. And man, my son gravitated to soccer in a heartbeat and uh, he follows everything. So pretty much all of our, he lives on the East Coast now. And um uh, Pretty much all of our conversations now involve whatever whatever game or whatever league he's assessing about, and he's into it. So I got to keep up. Got to keep up. That's great. That's great. Well, tell us a little bit about how you came to to work for RSL and and started announcing the games and how that all went. Yeah. So uh, two words, Dan Sheldon. That would be it right there. So um, Trey had had um, 
in the early days, um, when I say Trey, does everybody know who Trey Fitzgerald yes. is? To all of your listeners, uh-huh. I mean, just the PR guy. He lives, eats, and breathes it, right? And so RSL moves in, and he's one of the first employees. And he'll be mad at me for not knowing which employee is if he was employee three <laughs> or four or something. But like he was there in the early days, and they rented space from the Simmons family. They sublet, and we had been our radio station, the Zone, in those days had been up on the second floor. And RSL took the whole second floor, and we moved down into a new studio they built on the first floor. And yeah, we're in Charlie Corners, right? Yeah, yeah uh, right on the corner there at Seventh um, East and Fourth South. And so we shared the building, and the radio station had the rights. And Ryan Hatch was calling the games on radio in those days. And in the early days, they played a um, played a friendly with Harbortown, a uh, club from I think from Jamaica. And Ryan, for whatever reason, couldn't do the game. He goes, "Why don't you do it?" And I'm like. Okay, I broadcast a lot of sports. My college radio station was really aggressive, and we did football, baseball, and basketball. But we did the women's softball team. We did the men's and women's volleyball teams. Uh, we did water polo. I've, ca- I've called water polo games on the radio. And, and the thing I learned very early on, you're just laughing, Tyler. That's hilarious. Water polo games? Really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And here's, that's and I'm, I'm 100%, I'm 100% serious about this. Water polo, um, soccer, basketball, hockey, lacrosse, all have a lot in common. Now they got different rules, they got different traditions, but in those games, you're always trying to find a way to get three on two, two V one. How do you get someone by themselves for a shot, right? And it doesn't matter if the goal is hanging on a backboard 10 feet in the air. It doesn't matter if it's sitting on the ice. It's the same thing. How do we get three and two? How do we get two on one? How do we get somebody all by themselves? And so once you realize that, and um, the water polo came to me, could they, they, um, it's like hockey when you, when there's a, a, a foul, a penalty, they, in, in water polo, they in hockey, it's two minutes, but in water polo, they kick you out for 30 seconds and you got to swim to the corner and there's a little, you know, you sit there, you wear the you know, little cap of shame, right? And so, but your t- what does your team do? They drop into a two, three zone. And so we're, the, I'm calling the game with the radio station GM who thought it would be a good idea to try this because our station was out there and we did stuff like this. And he said he had played water polo in high school. And so I just say to drop into two, three zone. And after I was like, how did you know that? I'm like, because I played high school basketball. We played two, three zones all the time, you know? And so when Dunny's like, I hate zonal marking. It's like, I got coaches yelling at me in high school basketball. I know why. I mean, is it different? Yeah, it's different, but it's not that different. You know, you understand the concept of zone, flat-footed. You can't rebound out of a zone, said every basketball coach ever. Somebody will say it after they, after a game tonight. <laughs> it's the same concept. It's flat-footed. The other guy's got momentum. You know, you're watching the ball. You're not going and getting it. It's the same thing. So, yeah. That's awesome. So, but I never did soccer because in college, the guy who did soccer was, of course, the foreign exchange student with an accent. Ambi Harsha got to call the soccer. So I never, I never called soccer. What happened was when um, they put me on that one game for Harbortown to fill in for Ryan and John Ellinger. Someone asked Ellinger, "How did you think DJ did?" And it was all John could do not to go. That was the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. He's like, uh, "You know, that was, that was interesting." And I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> and so, but that was just this one time fill in. It wasn't really even on the radar. And then. The rights in the early days bounced around like KSL had them for a year. And then there was a year they were on the uh, sports regional network, whatever, AT&T, Fox, whatever it was called at the time. I can't remember. And then I think it went back to KSL. And then we were launching KMYU. We'd never had a place to put them. And so we were launching KMYU. And so there was some discussion about having me do it. And I remember thinking, 
uh, they're not going to let me off Saturday night to go do that. I'm doing talking sports on Saturday night. And sure enough, Dan Sheldon did it. I was told later, yeah, the GM's not letting you off talking sports. Dan's going to go do it. But Dan left and took a job in Portland in the middle of the 2010 season. And so, like, on a Tuesday, I got told uh, Dan's quitting. He's going to Portland, which totally surprised me. Dan had kept that job search below the radar. I didn't know anything about it. And um, so on Saturday, I had to call a game. And Dunny came down to the station, and they put a game on tape with no sound, no gnats, which was totally disorienting. And he and I tried to call a game, and I'm just looking at him like, I know this sucks. I know for a fact this sucks, okay? This is awful. And it's hard because, like, you can't hear the whistle. There's no crowd. You're not hearing the ball. It's totally, there's no, it's so dead. It's everything sports uh, isn't, right? Yeah. It's everything it isn't. And Dunny, and Dunny has a photo of this. Dunny, his wife must have been at work. He had his kid. I mean, literally, they're old. They've got, they got three kids now but that all is right here and he's got a photo of it he put it on social media um when we were counting down the games like remember when you know <laughs> now 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 the kids count the days till they have a driver's license he's not quite that old but still so that's how i got started and then it was just you know just put me on the air baptism by fire trial and error good luck to you there's another game saturday <laughs> yeah. yeah one of my so, favorite things that you guys call is uh, when you guys talk about being a good partner, a good on-air partner. <laughs> How did that Got come about? Partner. And uh, what's the story uh, there? So Dunny's going to be upset that I didn't, that I don't have all the details down as far as the game and the names and the incident. But something happened in a game. I think it was an RSL home game. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to mess this up. I think I'm in an RSL home game. And so then... Um, he was critical of the refs. They bought something. I don't even remember what he would remember what it was. I don't remember what it was. And then there was some blowback. And was it an, an email and a group phone call? And I, I didn't know about the email, but I was on the group phone call. It needed to be better broadcast partners. And, uh, and it really got to Dunny. And Dunny had just done a game in New York. And it was NYCFC. And it might have been the Red Bulls. It might have been... It might have been, it was at Yankee Stadium, though. I remember it was at Yankee Stadium. And something got screwed up on a goal. And they just made a complete hash out of it. And, like, Dunny pointed it out, but he didn't roast them. Because whatever went wrong, and he would remember, it was super basic. And it was just, and they just screwed it up. They just screwed it up. And he's like, you know, they messed it up. But he could have, like, and he didn't. And he's like, and so he went back at whoever. And I think somebody sent him an email, like, I can't believe they're talking about you like this or treating you like this. And like Dunny's got sources everywhere. Dunny always has a starting lineup at least an hour before the starting lineup comes out. Sometimes he has it a day before it comes out. When there's one team in the league where he doesn't have a contact as people, you know, move around, he's like, I can't believe it. I don't know any of them, you know. And it, it happened in a Montreal game a couple of years ago. But, but I mean, it's Canada and it's Eastern Canada. <laughs> so, so anyway, so Dunny's wired in. So he finds out about this, about the better broadcast partner. So he just starts, and he told me the story off the air. And then he did it on the air and I giggled. And usually I just play the straight man and Dunny makes the jokes. And every once in a while, I'll just give him like the sideline look like, I got that. I know what you did right there. That was good. <laughs> but the game, you know, the beautiful thing about soccer is, it's two hours. It's not three. It's not three and a half. It's not four. And so it's always, so there isn't a lot of time to get sidetracked because something happens and you got to stay on it. You can't, as a play-by-play -play guy, you just don't dare take your eyes off the field for very long. 
but I'll give him that sidelong look. Dunny, on the other hand, you know, he's tweeting during games. He's There's this one game, again, I can't remember who it was. They all run together after a while. But there's this one game, and it's probably, the year is probably like um, – 2015, 2016, you know, there was a there was a downtime in there. Arcel didn't do a lot of win and missed the playoffs. And so Arcel's at home and it's not a great crowd and Arcel's not playing well and they give up a goal and they give up another goal. And so like an hour in and it feels like, you know, there are times when even when they're behind, you know, and things are going well, you think something's going to happen. They're going to get back into this somehow. Something's going to happen. This was one of those nights. This is one of those nights you're like, yeah, that's the 65th minute. So 25 plus 3, uh, 28 will be done. A two-minute interview, commercial break, 30-minute post-game show, and we're done. This is over. And so I'm talking, blah, 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 and you kind of lay out. And the ball's pinging around the midfield. Nothing's happening. The crowd's barely buzzing. And I look over at Dunny, and he's, he's – <laughs> you know? And so I lay out for 30 seconds or whatever, and then something else, and I blah, 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 yada, 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 and – I lay out, look at Dunny, and he's <laughs> not saying a word. <laughs> something else happens, and it re- reminds me of something, and I say, blah, 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 and I hope it'll trigger him, and I look at him, and he looks at me, and I give him the, like a little help here. Do you want to talk in the next half hour? Dunny <laughs> looks back at me, and he looks at the field where RSL's just really struggling. He looks back at me and goes, yeah. <laughs> Why should I waste my crap on this? hilarious so many good times with him but yeah once he found out about the better broadcast partner he's like man i just pointed out you blew it in new york i didn't just like annihilate you and roast you and you handed me everything i mean you handed me like three baseball bats out of the yankee dugout i could have beaten you up for the rest of the show and i didn't do it i mean i told the fans what happened and then we just moved on but it was dreadful and now you're coming at me three days later oh he was really indignant so that just turned into it. Yeah, and I, and it, at one point it felt like you guys were kind of, kind of fighting each other, but then you were both laughing so hard about it that I was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. they were too fun. No, it's the, the, the honest truth is he has a lot of sources around the league because obviously he played in the league, and it's a very small universe. And if you don't know somebody, you know somebody who knows somebody. And, you know, people watch all the games and that, and so he would get text messages from players – and referees sometimes coaches but absolutely players and referees he would get them during the game and sometimes they pump them up and sometimes they'd rip them oh that's but they would like so he would get instant feedback when he was like when a referee was you know screwing up a game he would get a text from a referee like hey he's screwing it up you're right don't don't back down (laughs) (laughs) so he'd get that but sometimes he, he wouldn't he wouldn't recall something historically or something like that. And somebody would, you know, an ex-player would be like, yeah, that was like so-and-so. So, yeah, he's wired in. And so you can't really – you want him to put down the phone. But but the truth is it enhances the broadcast. You know, he, he would get stuff. And sometimes he'd get stuff, you know, like, that was not a handball. Quit your whining. You know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. But other times they, they'd back him up, you know. And once in a while you don't actually know. That was always one of our things is like – is. As it becomes okay to put technology in the game, which is someone who, you know, didn't live and die with soccer for 50 years, I'm okay with technology going into multiple sports, including the ones that I grew up playing and all that. I'm fine with it. Um, And not everybody is, but as technology is coming in, Dunny's whole thing is like, well, if we're going to let some technology in, let's let in a lot of technology. You know, if we're going to use replay and if they're going to talk, 
to somebody in a room somewhere, why can't we hear the audio about what they're talking about instead of us guessing and, and maybe messing it up and then needing a ref to text Donnie and say, oh, well, what you're missing here is, you know. <laughs> which is which still a fun happen, way to do it. You want to get it right for the audience. You know, people are investing their time. We can't take that for granted. It doesn't matter if you're a player or a broadcaster or a coach. or We can't take people's passion for granted. You know, you got to you gotta respect that. So, anyway, uh, we said we might ramble. I think I rambled. You asked one question, I answered like four different things. There, so. well, you we brought up association. I'm going, I'm going. You brought up Yankee Stadium. Did you ever yeah. get a broadcast a game from there? Is it? And if so, is it as horrible as it looks like on TV? I broadcast two games from there. It's bizarro world. It is so weird. Um, there's absolutely a strategic advantage there. Anybody who says there isn't is lying. If you are used to playing there, if you're used to playing on a smaller field, it's an advantage. And from a broadcast perspective, you broadcast from their their baseball booth because those are the only booths that exist. So you're behind the goal and kind of off to a corner. And so you are probably, I would guess, 70 to 80 yards above and a little off to the side of the goal that is on the right if you're watching on TV. That would be like the um, first base dugout because you're you're up behind home plate where you should be to call a baseball game. So you're kind of off to the right and the near corner and then way up, you know, six stories in the air. So the goal at the far end broadcasting and knowing who's doing what on a corner when everybody's jostling, you're like, good luck. You just got to broadcast off the monitor. It gets so far away. And then as it gets night and the light isn't very good, oh, I can't wait for them to have a stadium. They need a stadium so badly. I hate watching games there. And I don't know that you could ever convince me unless I actually saw the tape measure that that field is anywhere near regulation size. Now, it reminds me of, like, it reminds me of the old uh, Salt Lake team. They were, like, the Blitz Right, mm-hmm. and they played yeah. it at yep. the baseball field. Right, they did. They they got to their championship game in their uh, what was the league called at that time? Yeah, something weird. Want, right? Yeah, it was yeah. essentially it was two levels below MLS. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's not USL. Yeah, they were good. Whatever. They were good, oh, but they, they did. They had a. Yeah, they had. They got to the championship game, and they and they moved it to. Uh, to uh, the ballpark, and yeah, it was a bizarro layout. It was a bizarro time. <laughs> so did yeah, you have was... any favorite road trips that while you were able to uh, go on oh, the yeah. road? And maybe uh, there is there a difference? It certainly feels like there's a difference on the game when the broadcasters are actually in yeah. the stadium. Any thoughts yeah, there's, there's several advantages to being at the game. Uh, number one, the most basic thing of being at a game and not being there is you are at the mercy of whoever is directing the game. Because what happens is the home team does a feed and then the visiting gets it, maybe has a camera to enhance it, one or two, maybe a safety camera to bail out to <laughs> up high in the corner in case they're doing a lot of you know their local stuff. And then you have a camera to do, uh, they're doing a lot of their local advertising stuff. And then you have a camera to do like your, your interviews, we would typically have a camera there, uh, but there, you know, there wasn't a lot, and so, you know, all of a sudden the play stops. It's like, well, I think it, I think it's because somebody was offside, but we don't have a great angle on a broadcast camera. The linesman normally in a game, I would just look down and see if the flag is up. It's pretty simple, you know, and and you don't know. And there was one game, 
and the ball went out, but you couldn't tell when it went out if it went out for a corner, out for a throw in. And the ball goes out, and the camera stops panning. The ball goes out of the screen. They don't cut to another one. The ref's out of the shot. And I paused, and Kenny Neal, our producer director, who can referee a game and make substitutions for both teams while he produces and directs a game. He really can't do that all at once. <laughs> I've seen and heard him do it. And he was like, and, and I pause, and he goes, and I, he gets the man and he goes, and we just don't know. <laughs> I, I also think it's there. You know, there's so much emotion in the game, and it's so exhausting, especially when you get deep in a season and you're playing three in a week and, and, and guys have played 2,000 minutes in a season and everything's adding up. The emotion in a building matters big time. I've, I've been on the road with RSL, and I've seen them get a goal on the road and just kill the crowd, and they are so on fire, and you can see it in the bench. You know, you can see it in the guys warming up. And once you're looking at the game camera, you lose all of that. There are all these other cues. Um, you know, you, you see a call, and you think, ah, I don't think that's a very good call. And then you see Pablo down there just rolling with it. You're thinking, okay, he, he had an angle. He saw or knows something. He doesn't care. And other times I'm thinking, man, that looked awful. And before you even say anything, you, you know, you can peek at Pablo. Or if it goes the other way at the other coach, and you can see what they think. And, you know, it's kind of reinforces whatever you think if, you know, you look at your Yankee Stadium and you're 150 yards away from everything. Um, so you lose all those cues, the cues from the crowd, the cues from the bench, the cues from the coaches, the cues from the players warming up, you know, and, and, and you lose all that. And then there's just uh, doing the halftime and the postgame interviews is hard. We've had, you know, technical problems with them. So, yeah, there's a lot of advantages to being there. Um, and then there's the seeing people, especially when you're with Dunny, because he literally knows people in every stadium. And you do hear stuff you can put in the broadcast about the opposing team, who's going, why they're going, what's going on. Um, because we'll know some of the basic storylines, but obviously when you're somewhere, back to that thing about all sports is local, when you're in the community, there's more storylines and you're following them more closely and it makes it more interesting. It brings out more emotion. And so we tap into all of that, um, you know, when we're on the road. Was it, was it a major cost reduction savings or? I don't know the exact, I don't know the exact number, but apparently because a lot of teams did it, you know, well, to, to be fair, RSL did it a long time ago. When I called the games to fill in for Dan uh, when he left in 2010 and in 2011 for that season in a third or whatever it was, uh, I only traveled to two road games. We were calling games out of the uh, um, basement of the Jazz Arena. I think it would have been Energy Solutions Arena at that point. Oh, wow. We were calling them off monitors, and that's before we had HD, and that was really hard because everything was just really grainy. There was one game, Kansas City wasn't in their new stadium yet. They were still playing in their minor league ballpark, and the lighting wasn't great. And, I mean, you just you just couldn't tell who was who. You just you – just, everyone was just a little dot. And a guy – Guy could be white, a guy could be African American, a guy could be uh, uh, from uh, Central or South America. I mean, you just you like everybody know. was a dot, and you had no clue. Someone could shave their head, or someone could have you know Beckerman could have his dreads. You didn't know. It was just a <laughs> tiny grainy dot. It was hopeless, just hopeless. Yeah. Uh, so so that and that era, teams weren't going on the road. And then when I came back in 2015, by then RSL had switched and we were doing everything on the road. I went to D.C. and Boston, I think, or two games that the arena was already busy with something else. So we traveled for those two games, but mostly we were off monitors then. And so then we were traveling, and it was – Dunny told me, he says, you're doing a game off a monitor, you're doing a game. He says, what do you call your first game in person? It's going to be way easier. 
And it was because I had the crowd noise, I had the cues, I had the so much of it I came to appreciate isn't the words, it's the inflection. It really is the inflection, you know. And I watch a lot of other broadcasts, you know, what works for other people, what makes sense for me. And it really is the inflection, but you're taking your cues from all this other stuff you can see. Um, and so we were on the road and then we, we came off the road before the pandemic, but not much, less than a year before the pandemic. And um, at that point, I think where's probably only about a third of the league maybe was still traveling. Most of them weren't, you know, because if the, if the, if the teams traveled, the broadcasters will get together and talk before the game. Story notes, stats, nuggets, you know, little tidbits of something to throw in. Um, and so we'd always talk and it was just getting it was getting more and more rare. You know, the, the other the other crew wasn't coming, wasn't coming to Sandy. So, yeah. <laughs> well, I enjoyed watching your broadcast, even though you weren't at the stadium. Mm-hmm. And when I would watch them and see you guys at that desk, I always thought every game's like, I wonder which D.I. did you get that desk from? oh man so now now it can be told i suppose someone will probably yell at me for this but that's okay so so we have that big monitor behind us and dunny did make cracks about the desk um in uh and i've been I've, i've worked at so many radio and tv stations and seen so much crazy stuff like yeah yeah Oh, well, <laughs> it is what it is, you know, Just rolling I mean, it's nothing like working at a TV station and, and they don't put monitors in the, in the, like, why wouldn't you put a monitor in the desk? So when you look down to read, you know, you can see what you're talking about, whether you're a news anchor or, you know, you're doing highlights and, so, and then you get a set and it's like, did the person who built this set not know to put a monitor in it? What are we doing? So you always see stuff like that, but the whole, the monitor that was behind us on the wall was brand new and somehow the door stopped got broken or wasn't in and there was something temporary there but it got moved so anyways i wasn't there when it happened i wish i had been but i wasn't but i came back and i'm like what happened to that and everyone cracks up like you notice right away i'm like well, yeah there's a big crack and it's like someone came flying through the door bam and the thing hadn't been on the wall a week and so unfortunately where it broke was like just out of camera range so you didn't see it but if you're in the room you're like hey what happened <laughs> someone opened the door drilled it so. Oh. so did you have a place when you could travel where was uh, your favorite place to watch a game and least favorite. oh yeah least favorite i think we besides new york city the <clears throat> yankee stadium well there were there were so many places that had character <laughs> <laughs> so there was something about every every place there were great places to go sometimes because of the city sometimes because of the people you saw there um you know, as someone who's moved around for work and my family's moved around for work, like I knew people in half the towns we went to. So for me, every time you say you go on a trip, it's like, well, L.A., I got a brother in L.A. You're going to Chicago. I got a brother in Chicago. You know, um, I got I got nieces and nephews in Cleveland. I got so. So there's that angle of when you're going to a trip. You know, I don't know anybody in Kansas City. I don't know anybody in Montreal. Montreal ended up being a great trip. I love that. What an interesting town dunny took me on some hike and we climbed this staircase and i didn't know this i mean i had i had no idea <laughs> but montreal in french mount a royal mount and so there's the, a bend in the river and there's this huge hill and so we climbed this huge hill and they got a staircase everybody does it and at the top there's this huge just sweeping dramatic views it's gorgeous and then if you hike off the backside of it you drop it down into this cemetery that's like 
got graves from three and four centuries ago. And I mean, you want to talk about old school, gothic, eerie, let's go film a B-movie. Holy cow. <laughs> Anybody who's walked around that, I'll be like, if, if I said to Dunny, the cemetery, he would say Montreal immediately. We were both blown away walking around that place. So there's all that kind of stuff that goes on. As far as the stadiums, a lot of the new ones are 80 to 90% alike. Some of them have real character, especially the old ones that Dunny would refer to as the MLS 1.0. <laughs> so DC United, when you walk in, the, um, when they played at RFK Stadium, so you would you'd be in the stadium, in the, in the main stadium, and you had to go out on a catwalk. And as this, the seats drop away, you're at the top of the lower bowl and the bottom of the upper bowl. And you're kind of hung off the top of that upper bowl. And so you walk out on a catwalk and the thing drops away beneath you. And then you get out and there's like a half dozen rooms. You go to the room and there's a big steel beam and I'm six feet tall and it's about five feet tall. And so you have to duck under this beam or you will absolutely crack your skull. And you duck under this beam and you pop out and then there's just like this little three foot area where you broadcast. And the stadium's falling apart and no one's invested in it. I mean, the, the NFL left there in the, when did they leave there? They probably left there in the mid to late 90s. And so you're in there like nothing's been done for 20 years. I mean, the Expos moved to Washington and they played as the Washington Nationals there for a couple of years while their ballpark. But I don't think they invested anything in the stadium and they did not invest anything for D.C. United. And it was great. It was the thing you would love is that their supporters in the, in the 60s, they built these stadiums where there were two sections and they would spin around and you could spin them kind of together and create a baseball field or you could put them on opposite sides and create football or soccer down the middle. And so they move, so they really bounce. So their fans would get on them, and they'd start chanting and singing and bouncing. The atmosphere was great. But in front of you, the top piece of the broadcast booth, where there'd normally be like roughly a two-before or some kind of table or something, that had popped off, and I don't know where that had gone. And there was a, uh, the wall underneath, there was like you could stick your hand down in it, right? Because <laughs> there was the outer piece of the thing that the fans saw. It was the inner piece you saw, but down in the middle, there was nothing except – there was a hive of wasps and they would come out and buzz around during the game. And you just had to keep calling the game. And of course they, you know, if you hit the wall or if you make, I don't know, maybe like even your voice, the vibrations they could feel and like, they'd be quiet. There'd be nothing. And then they, they'd come up and then they go back down. And I never got stung. Nothing that happened, but it was surreal calling the game. And if you remember, there was a game there and Justin Gladden remembers it. Cause it was one of, it might've been the first game he started, <clears throat> but it was definitely early in his career. It ends up being a crazy game, and DC United wins 6-4. And so we're just going nuts in there, right? I mean, there's so many twists and turns in a game with 10 goals, and the bees are buzzing or the wasps or whatever they were. I don't even know what they were. But it was uh, – yeah, that, that, was, that was freakish and just, just surreal. Um, places I didn't like broadcasting from, Houston, I didn't mind the trip. I had, uh, I had friends there. I always had people to see. But, man, when you got to the game – that, I don't. I never saw that stadium a third full, and hopefully they got new ownership, and hopefully they'll get it going. It's a good location. It's not that far. Downtown's kind of everything in Houston's designed is uh, kind of labeled by the freeways, and so there's this kind of intersection of freeways and downtowns. So it's right in there, and so we had to walk under one freeway, and then boom, soccer stadium's right there. So it line of sight, it's out of the view, but it's not that far away from. Uh, where the baseball stadium is and where a bunch of the downtown hotels are. We didn't get a car. We would just walk from our hotel to the to the game. It was really super convenient downtown. 
But man, they they the old ownership got sideways with the fan base, so that was tough because it was really really quiet there. Um, Dallas could be quiet, but it could also be a little better up in Frisco, which is like an hour from downtown. Um, so uh, places that were great to go, I don't think there's a more place a more fun place to broadcast than Portland. It look if you haven't been to a game in Portland, it looks good on TV. You can kind of sense the energy and all that. And it is, but it's way better in person. And they also have that catwalk. It's an old baseball stadium. Actually, the original name, it was the Civic Stadium, and they had everything there. They had minor league baseball. They had concerts. They had, you, you can go online and find, I mean, they had ski jumping in there once. I mean, they've done all kinds of crazy stuff there. And, uh, and so I put that, I put a photo of that on the Thursday night show um, before Portland game. When we started doing the Thursday night show, I think the first time I found it, I'm like, oh, I'm putting this on TV. And uh, but they redid the stadium, and then they redid it a second time and expanded, and they did both really well. And one thing we never story never told that I wish we'd had, but you know it was always a big game. But there is um, I get turned around there in the south end of the stadium. So if you're watching on TV, off to your right, there is a health club, and the yeah. stadium isn't completely enclosed. And the health club has cantilevered out this kind of balcony and put in like four or five rows of seats. And the health club sells tickets to the game. And originally there was, I guess, some fight. Dunny had the whole background. There was some battle between the club and the health club. And then they finally came to some agreement or whatever. And so people will sit there and watch the game and cheer. And they're not that far out of the stadium. They have a good view, you know, sitting in the, behind a goal goes. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've, I've been to, oh, sorry. Oh, I've been, been to two games game? in Portland. And the, the visiting section is right up against there. Right. Yes, so yes. both times I sat in that section and I'm like, this guy's over there shooting hoops and watching the game. This is <laughs> so strange. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the stadium I haven't been to that I would like to go to. I think they have a really good atmosphere in Minnesota. I always really enjoyed this would go wrong because there's such a rivalry between the clubs. But I always enjoyed broadcasting in Kansas City. That crowd is into it. They are into it. Now, it's not they're crazy and they got the smoke bombs and the whole blue hell thing. You know, behind the goal to the left. Um, but uh, I guess that would be the Eastern. I don't know. I'm all turned around. But anyway, um, it's, uh, it's a really good atmosphere. Seattle's good, but the stadium is so big and so corporate. It's a different vibe. It's not as small and intimate. But having been there for 55,000, it is loud. It's turf. I grew up in San Diego. Outdoor sports should be played on grass. Baseball, right. football, soccer, they should be played on grass. And I get it's Pacific Northwest, and they got the NFL in there. and So I know why they do it, um, but it, I'd always, you know, it rubs me wrong. I mean, that's really the only flaw with Portland, if they played on, on grass in Portland, you know. Um, so those are some of the cool places. I think that we don't really get it here because they're in the east, but uh, Toronto's got a good stadium. And they have big crowds. They probably have like 30,000 there. They're way into it. We went there when they were good. I know they, you know, took a little bit of a fall because nobody's good good forever. Um, LA's weird in that the, there's a great rivalry with the Galaxy. But if you go in there for a weeknight game, you know, the crowd's limited because it's on the Cal State Dominguez Hills uh, campus and all that. So it's weird to go to LA and expect the Galaxy to be good, which obviously I was there when Bruce Arena was there and they were winning titles all the time. And then since then, I mean, they missed the playoffs and all that. But it just it feels like a big game going to LA and then the crowd doesn't always match it. And if you're there on a weeknight, it literally can't. We're, we were down there for a game about five years ago on the 4th of July and RSL won 6-2 to two and all that. But 
you know, they just that when they built the stadium, that was the deal they cut. So that's that's part of the deal with going there. I never got the broadcast from LAFC. That looks awesome on TV. It just looks fantastic. I'd love to. But by the time LFC opened, we were um, we were broadcasting uh, on remote from the stadium. So I didn't, oh, that's I good. Didn't I was to. worried you might have gotten hit with some projectiles if you broadcast yeah. the LFC, right? <laughs> yeah. So I had a question so, for you, sir. Orlando's got Orlando's got a nice Orlando's got a nice stadium, a nice setup. That was okay. I've been there. Um, so didn't I didn't um, I didn't get to go to DC United's new stadium. I haven't seen that. So. Have you ever seen the movie Anchorman? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I had a I've question. Is there any other broadcasters that you would, you know, you would band together and have fights out in the parking lot with or something like that? <laughs> that on air? Wow. That escalated quickly. <laughs> it went from a, a what is it? While a food we were, fi- while while fight we to a food fight to a real fight. Oh, that's radio. Nice. Before, so I was just like, you know, he's probably, you know, he's not, he's probably down to fight. You know what I mean? Like grab a sword. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Who would you want to go into battle with against KSL? Yeah. Uh, Dunny. Dunny would fight dirty. I don't have any doubt about that. Dunny would be good to have on your side. Um, I hadn't thought about local TV stations. I think about other, you know, broadcast teams. And, and the thing about soccer players is a lot of them are smaller, you know. I don't think I'd want to mess with Alexi Lawless. He's a big dude. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, as, 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 you know, the first American to go play in Italy, I imagine that, uh, you know, he had, to, he had to prove himself. He's tested. So I definitely would want Alexi on my side. I would not want to – I wouldn't want to battle Alexi, you know. Hmm. Nice. That was a nice tangent there. <laughs> <laughs> that was. Have you ever seen Anchorman? <laughs> I don't know how to say this, but <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, do you have any uh, favorite memories of calling the games for Real Salt Lake? Yeah, I have tons of them. Tons of them. <clears throat> um, uh, you know the Demir Krylak playoff goal in Kansas City, which unfortunately we weren't in the stadium at the game for that, which would have been awesome because the crowd's chaos and it's such a chaotic moment. But it's hard in a, it's hard in a sport like basketball where there's a hundred points and, you know, 40 or 50 uh, buckets made. It's hard to score with time running down and you got to get the bucket, right? And that's hard to do. But it happens 40 or 50 times a game, but it's hard to do whenever. So in soccer, when you're down to like that last position, you're down to that final minute, that final 30 seconds in a sport where both teams combined might only score once in two hours. You know, it was just incredible to have the whole season riding on the line and to know they've got a minute left. They've got 30 seconds left, you know, and, and you see Everton take that shot and it could have been deflected and gone out and they could have killed the time and a goal kick and it could have, you know, could have been over and and um, bicycle kick right yeah and you get and you get the the bicycle kick and it's offline and demir knows it can you imagine if it had been on target and demir had tried to redirect it and he sent it wide i mean there's like so many things happened you know all at once um even the way the ball was punched away if we back up earlier in the play you know the ball's on the near side and there's the cross and it's overhit and herrera collects it and sends it back in it gets punched away and it goes right to everton you know, I mean, if it goes five feet to the left or right, does someone from Kansas City kick it to midfield and they blow the whistle and it's done, right? I mean, so many things happen. That was uh, Anderson Julio's goal, just like individual skill on a goal, just freakish. 
you know, this ball over the top and there's two defenders and they're closing him down. And with one touch, he pops it back into his left, plants, pivots. And he, I mean, he just, <laughs> they're like, they're headed to Park City and they're not stopping. And he just volleys it. I mean, just to volley it and to yourself and just take it one time and just rocket it past the keeper. That was, as, as far as an individual piece of skill, that, that was incredible. Um, I mean, just this past season to go to New England and, you know, in the snow and have three goals and the last guy in the world you think is going <laughs> to score the game winner from the angle he scores it from. We got the best goal celebration ever out of that game. That was incredible. Went straight to bobblehead. That was, yeah. Yes, you're right. You're right. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> Earlier. Um so, yeah, I mean, you can go through them. There's so many. The 4-4 game in Portland um, and that 6-4 game at D.C. United, just for sheer, sheer craziness. Um, hardest week of broadcasting, probably RSL and the Petke era gets sent to Houston and then to Dallas, which is great because it's less flying, but it was brutal because it ended up like 5-1, 6-2, I think, just back-to-back drubbings and, like, Oh my gosh, we got to do this with Petke again post game. We just did this. Hey, uh, hey Mike, uh, where did it all go wrong? You're like, <laughs> when you're in the media and you're working, you can't really do your job well and be a fan the way fans are fans. I mean, right. players are players, fans are fans, media are media. You know, everybody's everybody's got their role to play in the universe. Um, but at the same time, if you're broadcasting a game, you always want a good game. And you learn because you have to get through it. You just learn to get through stuff. If you know if the local team loses, they lose. You still gotta, you know, you still gotta do your job. But man, nobody wants to be on the end of just you know. Well, that was two fun hours, wasn't? Yeah, that was awful. Won't forget that. Well, not. And then two storms. How about this? Two games that didn't happen that I remember. That if you were there, you would never forget. The rain coming down in Houston and that game having to be, and everybody getting on the bus and everybody going back to the hotel, the rain came down. I mean, it was, I'd never seen anything like it. And it was so powerful. I mean, it was scary. And then we go to DC United and Dunny doesn't make that trip. And um, it was even worse. It was, there was standing water in the dugouts. There was a line on the wall the next day. It was incredible how much water came out of the sky. And like nobody asked, are they going to postpone the game? Everybody knew you couldn't play in that. You couldn't see in that. You couldn't. It was impossible. And then it was just standing water. Just the inside of the stadium just filled. It was like filling a bathtub. And then, you know, Dunny made all the jokes about, oh, we're the raccoons on the uh, floating pieces of lumber and all that kind of stuff. There is a lot of wildlife living inside of RFK. That is true. Um there's a, there's a couple of the games at the height of the Kansas the rivalry with Kansas City. RSL went there and won. And uh, there was one moment, KC's going left to right, and Failhopper's got the ball, and Kyle Beckerman picked his pocket. I mean, the wallet was gone, and Benny never even knew. <laughs> he never even knew until he got to the subway stop and tried to pay for that ticket. Where'd my wallet go? And Kyle, one touch. He's, he wins the ball, Fail Harbor's headed the other way, and Kyle turns and pings the ball 60 yards, and one or two touches later, it's in the back of the net for a goal. And that goal celebration uh, was only topped by Demerical, which was in the same corner of the same stadium, ironically. Uh, but as a regular season game goes, that was, that was, that was pretty memorable. 
probably never more stunned than the time they went to L.A. and scored six goals on the road. Nobody does that. People do that at home. You see those blowouts. You know, once a month, somebody in the league really finds somebody else in the league and, and hangs a big L on them. But usually it's a road team getting hammered by a home team. That's the only time I can remember RSL as the road team going in and just crushing somebody. Just, I mean, one goal after another, after another. Thank you, sir. May I have another? I mean, it just kept going. And that it was the Galaxy who they'd had so many good games with, uh, you know, made that all the sweeter. Is that the season that they returned to favor in the playoffs? Or am I no, it was later. One? I think that five, the game you're talking about, that 5-0 game that we uh, we got to go down and do, that was a treat. Um, yeah, I think that was 2016. So this one was later. Maybe... 18, but I'm not I'm not 100% positive on that. Um, goals by visiting players because we've seen so many stars, but I don't know if a star ever shocked me with a goal more than Schweinsteiger. I don't know if you remember the goal, but Chicago came to play RSL, and he beat Romando. Uh, Romando was in the north goal, and he beat him from like, it seemed like 30 yards. And it, it got off his foot into the back of the net in about a tenth of a second. That was... Amazing. So I would say the best goal I ever saw by a visiting, by an opposing player, would probably be that one. I've seen a lot of quality goals, but that one just totally stunned me. It was a rocket. Awesome. Well, go ahead, Brent. Go ahead, Dylan. I'll go. I'll go. Okay. So, how's the team feel? I mean, you were kind of around the team through checkets and Deloy. What's your feel for where the team is now, the ownership group and like the culture uh, the, pretty much. Yeah. The culture, the team in general, <clears throat> what have you seen change or has it changed? Everything has changed. And if there's one thing I hope the new ownership group stops, it's the constant change. Every year the players had to adapt to either a new manager, a new GM or a new owner. And that and the, obviously, you know, changing to Petke and then after Petke and Freddie comes in and then Freddie to Pablo. I mean, with Freddie and Pablo, they were there. So there was some level of rapport and relationship. Um, and I guess it was with Kassar, Petke be the one. But it's still like everything changes. How are we going to play? What's my role? What's my role? Yeah, I've got a relationship with them. But is it good? Is it bad? Is it mediocre? I, that puts a lot of out and then as far as where when the gm changes well, where are you in your contract when is your contract up what does this gm want to do and with the owner well the owner can change the gm and the coach so i think these guys have had a lot of change and if you look at the other teams in our state that have been successful usually you see a lot of consistency i mean lavelle edwards coached byu forever and they had the best times they ever had in football and Kyle Winningham has had a long run at Utah, and they've had the best times they've ever had. You might love Rick Majerus, and you might hate him, but when he was at the University of Utah, you knew exactly who he was, you knew how the youths were going to play, and you knew what the deal was. And the same with Jerry Sloan and the Jazz. So to me, it's remarkable that, that, the, um, that RSL has had so much success with so much change. And this doesn't mean that they need to have people in place for 15, 20, 30 years. But... These three key roles to have one of them changing every year, I, I just don't think that's helpful. So, you know, the new ownership group has got to pick their guys 
and stick with their guys for a while. And I think there's a decent chance of that happening because Ryan Smith grew up as a sports fan in Utah, and his frame of reference is Lavelle Edwards and Jerry Sloan. And, I mean, he's a Cougar, not a Ute, but he, he knows what's happened. And so I think that's his frame of reference, so I think that helps. Um, you know, I think Pablo's different than Jason Christ. There are certainly differences, but there are a couple simil- a couple similarities. And there is a lot of attention to detail. Um, Pablo doesn't say the team is the star, but everything else he says, he might as well end it with the team is the star. I mean, when he talks about attacking players and evaluating attacking players, I learned early on how they press and how they trigger the press, not how, how they press individually matters, but how they relate to their teammates and how they trigger the press and bring everyone along with them matters to Pablo a lot. And the coaching staff has very detailed plans that they do not want to share with us, but every once in a while you get a small nugget like when and why you press, there are specific reasons. And so if you're watching a game and like they press, they didn't press, or they press and why not? Pablo's got his reasons. There are people they want to press. There are certain situations they want to press them in. There are certain times they want to press them. And a guy like Demir, and people love Demir because he, you know, just he plays so many positions and seems to play them all well. And the closer they move him to goal, the more his goal totals go up. And so they love all that. But if you talk to Pablo, leader in the locker room, puts everyone else either alongside him or in front of him worried about their welfare and how they're playing and how they're doing and understands 100% of the time why Pablo wants to press, when he wants to press, and how he wants to press. And everyone else is like, oh, Demir's gone. Where are the goals going to come from? And Pablo's like, oh, what's the press going to look like? You know. And so that attention to detail and um, the the culture of – you know, building relationships with everybody on your team, no matter what position they play, no matter what country they're from, no matter what language they speak, it doesn't matter. Like, how do you get everyone bonded? Man, Demir knows everybody's name. Demir gives everyone's – man, he comes up uh, – if you've been out to training, you know, there's this huge staircase they have to come up to get to the level of the locker rooms. They train. It's a hillside, and they did the whole cut and fill thing. So they climb these huge stairs, and Demir goes up and down the line, Everybody, every member of the organization, Bones, hey, how you doing, knows everybody's name, knows everybody's name in the media. When, when he sees you, he has a specific thing to talk to you about. Yeah, Pablo values that. So as far as the culture, um, you know, I, I think they're getting to a pretty good place. I do think there's got to be turnover in the roster um, so that he gets all, all the guys he wants the way he wants. Um, and I think we've seen some of that in offseason. We've seen more turnover. I do think that this is a sport that lends itself to more turnover. And I think we've seen that from multiple people. When Garth Lagerway was running the show here, Garth was very big on putting a group together for three years and not letting it get stale and, and trying to balance the young guys, the guys in their prime and the veteran guys who'd be there in a crisis uh, to provide leadership. And, you know, over time, that veteran guy three years later is probably done. And that young guy who is right at that price if he's played well well now he's worth more and in the salary cap league in a global market man I, if i heard garth say that once i heard that a hundred times like, i love him but this is now his number in the universe and i can't tell that guy not to go make that number but because he, he might be worth five hundred thousand bucks somewhere in the world but in our league with a salary cap you can't pay 500 grand at that position you just can't that's not our number if you do you're going to have a hole somewhere else on the field and so 
It's not that they have to lock guys down, but I do just think they need a certain amount of, of consistency. There'll always be some turnover. There'll be guys coming and going. Yeah, there's a lot of... To, uh, go ahead, Tyler, your turn. Oh, no, no, no. I was just going to say that uh, there's a lot of fit with team and, and a lot of uh, consistency with with who you play with. And I think uh, our defense is getting there, but I, I was sad to see Aaron Herrera go, you know, that... that it seemed like he was a long-term fit for that. And maybe it was the new challenge thing he was looking for or whatever. But uh, have you ever like had any favorite players, people that like kind of come through that are like, Oh, this guy's so easy to talk to. He's a great interview. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yes, absolutely. Luke Mulholland. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Luke was, Luke was, Luke was hilarious. And other guys at the end of training, they could be great guys, but based on what was going on, they could be grumpy or not want to talk. And Luke was money. And so everybody in the media loved it. Like, oh, Luke's coming over today. I don't know what he's going to say, but it's going to be hilarious. And he would, I don't even know if I'm supposed to say this stuff. It's a podcast. You can say all kinds of stuff. But he uh, wouldn't appreciate it, probably. But he would come over and swear at us. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. He'd come over and swear at us, and he'd do it in a goofy voice. And it was hilarious. And you didn't know it was coming. What's up? <laughs> it's like, it's hilarious. So, yeah, pro- probably Luke, just just for his, um, I don't know what the right word is. Not bizarreness, weirdness, randomness. For his sheer randomness, that's the word, randomness. Uh, it was entertaining. So much of it is kind of the same thing. There's a there's a hurry up and wait part to it and all that. And, and Luke was just super random. Um, <laughs> Justin, because he's been here so long and I've known him forever, I mean, he's, he's very easy to talk to. And I think it's because we have similar backgrounds. I was talking to Justin about, like, you know, you're so athletic and at the size and weight you're at, your body type works in a lot of sports, you know? I mean, there are guys built like you who play football. There are guys who built like you who play basketball. There are guys built like you who play baseball, you know? But there are guys built like you who play soccer. Some guys are very specific, right? Uh, when you're when you're 5'7", okay, I think I can name one or two NBA players in 50 years who've been 5'7", right? <laughs> Spud Webb. <laughs> so the, it's, it's just super specific. But you're like, and he said, hey, I play soccer because of the 1994 World Cup. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> they did that for my generation because we could, how does that work for your generation? He's like, my dad. He says, you're, you're my dad's generation. He didn't, they, my family wasn't into it. We were a total sports family. But they saw the World Cup and he has older um, siblings, brother and I think brother and sister older. And he says, they started playing soccer because of the World Cup. So he says, when I come along, I'm born after the World Cup. I don't remember any of this. But it's like, well, we're driving out to practice. So you're going to play soccer too. So he says, I played soccer. I didn't play this other stuff. So it's a different story, but it's still tied into that World Cup that was so transformational. I mean, there's no MLS without that World Cup, you know? So that um, he's super easy to talk to. And it's partly because I've talked to him a hundred times just because he's, you know, been on the team the longest. Please join us for part two with David James as he talks deeper on the projections for the 23 year and so many more things with the RSL Random Fan Podcast.